Over the past several weeks, we've been exploring this image of a table in the wilderness. A table in the wilderness. It's a picture of who we are to be and how we are to live as God's people. As people of faith. We're to live as a people uh, trusting that God's table can be found in the wilderness. No matter what desperate or desolate situation we find ourselves in, God's table can be found there. And because of this, we don't try to, to flee the wilderness, to pursue the way of the world, fortune, fame, spectacle. Instead, we can embrace the wilderness as a place where God's blessing truly lies. The wilderness is a place where we are shaped and formed into a different kind of people, into a kingdom kind of people. And so throughout these weeks, we've been considering the, the ministry and the message of John the Baptist. Uh, he was this voice in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. Early in his life, he fled into the wilderness. At the start of his ministry, he began calling others to join him in the wilderness as well. Last week, we were listening to some of his words, and we heard him speak words of fire, right? A word of warning, but also a word of hope uh, as fire refines and renews us, burning away the bad and building up the good. This week, I want to consider another element that was integral to John's ministry. Uh, not fire, but water. Water, right? Uh, John spoke his message with words of fire, but he demonstrated his message with baptism and water. This is why he came to be known as John the Baptist, right? This is the core of his message. And so what, what does this water in the wilderness mean? What did it mean then? What does it mean to us today as we continue to encounter God in the waters of baptism? This is what I want to consider today. So uh, if you have your Bible and want to follow along, uh, you'll be able to see maybe some of this um, on the sheets, but we've switched our passage up a little. So I'm going to read a few parts from Matthew chapter 3 uh, as we continue. So hear the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 5, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Verse 11, John said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, 
We thank you for the gift of your word and for the invitation into the waters. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So many of you know that last fall, Caitlin and I went to Ireland, uh, spent uh, about a week and a half there and got to explore and, and, and visit. And one of the things that I love about Ireland is the deep well of Celtic Christian spirituality that is present there. There's this long and, and beautiful history of it. Uh, over the past few weeks, uh, along with the, the teachings of John the Baptist and the life of John the Baptist, as we've considered this image of a table in the wilderness, we've also been learning from this community known as the Desert Mothers and Fathers, who in the third and fourth century began going out into the wilderness to pursue God and, and a life of prayer. And the, the Celtic saints learned quite a lot from those desert mothers and fathers. Uh, they, too, went out to search for God in wilderness places and, and to, to search for God in, in solitude and silence and some of these very same practices. One of these Celtic saints is someone known as Saint Kevin. Saint Kevin, who lived in the 6th century. And from a young age, Kevin felt a call to a very simple life of solitude and of prayer. And so one day he ran away into the Wicklow Mountains, which are located just south of the current day city of Dublin, where he settled into the valley of Glendalough. Glendalough, which uh, is a uh, the Valley of Two Lakes, Glendalock, the Valley of Two Lakes. And there are two lakes there. And so he, he settled there. He sought God and prayer in this place. And over time, others came to seek him out, uh, to learn from him, to, to hear from him. And so he ended up founding what is now known as the monastic city of Glendalock. Uh, you can see some footage of Glendalock there. I did not take this, but I found it uh, somewhere. But Glendalock became this monastic community of life and prayer. It remained an active place for the next several centuries. And to this day, it remains an important historical site that is kept and preserved for people to visit and pray. It's a very lovely place. You can, you know, see the, the monastic city there. You can see the, the two lakes off in the distance. Well, Glendalough was the very first place that Caitlin and I went to visit when we arrived in Ireland. Uh, once we sorted out our rental car and I sorted out how to be on the wrong side of the car and the wrong side of the road, uh, we headed away and down to Glendalough. It was this wonderful way to begin our time in Ireland. Do you want to see some of the photos that we took while we were there? Yeah? Um, so, so here's approaching Glendalough. Uh, you can see in the distance the, that big tower and some of the buildings there. Uh, and then entering the monastic city, there's this big stone chapel structure there on the left. 
uh, and you can see the tower and the, the cemetery straight ahead, uh, you know, headed down to that. It was, it was wild to, to be wandering in the midst of this ancient cemetery where there are headstones that you can't even make out because they've been there for a thousand years or more, right? Uh, it was just sort of nuts. And then we stepped into the remains of this old church building. Uh, the, the top is all missing, um, but, but it's still there. You can see at least the remains of an arch that used to go there and the windows that let the light in. As, as we stood there, I, I couldn't help but imagine the, the people who centuries before had gathered in this very place to pray, to sing, to share in bread and wine, to do the very same things that we're doing here today. Uh, gathered there hundreds of years, uh, even a thousand years ago, to worship in this place. Uh, it was sort of standing there almost as if I was standing there with them, right? It sort of transcended time in a way. As we made our way from that uh, main area, we headed down this path toward the lakes, and we made our way towards the upper lake. Uh, the larger part of, of Lake Glendalock. And, and we stopped there for a while to admire its beauty. Despite founding the monastic city, Kevin often still sought his own solitude and silence. And so he would often come to this place and, and go uh, kind of find some small cell on the edge of the waters where he would pray by himself. And quiet. And there's there's a wonderful little legend or story that at one time Kevin was sitting out there along the waters. He was praying the Psalms, and then uh, you know I don't know what happened. He you know maybe was just in such an ecstatic state of prayer, or maybe he dozed off. Uh, but the book slipped from his hands. Uh, the psalm, his psalm book, slipped from his hands and fell into the water. You know, and he startled awake and was distraught and upset about it. Um, and the story goes, though, that an otter retrieved the book, brought it back to him. Here you go. And the Psalter was magically, you know, miraculously unharmed. You know, no, nothing was messed up. There's, I, I love these little fun stories that you find in, in Celtic legend and, and in Celtic spirituality. But, you know, I pondered that story as I stood right here and took that picture, and I thought of St. Kevin coming out to this very lake to pray. And it was like we were there with him. So why do I share these stories? Because I think something very profound can happen whenever we go to a place. Something very profound can happen, this experience that, that transcends time, and, and we suddenly find ourselves joined with the other people who have been in that place before, joined with their stories. Yeah, I felt it in that ancient church building in Glendalock, right? I felt it at the edge of, of the water at the lake, Glendalock. And I think something very similar is happening with John as he preaches on the edge of the Jordan River. I think something very similar occurs as we enter the waters of baptism. You see, John is recalling earlier stories from the history of Israel. And we too enter and join these stories when we come to the waters of baptism. 
The waters of baptism is a moment like this where we're joined in something far larger than ourselves. So what are these stories that John is pointing to as he preaches along the river? Well, the history of Israel is marked by some wonderful water stories. In fact, the most foundational story to the people of Israel, the story of the Exodus, when God set them free and and covenanted with them, this story is marked by water, right? We read about it in Exodus 14, if you want to turn there. Uh, that's, that's where we find it. Uh, in Exodus 14, they, uh, God has freed the people from their slavery in Egypt. All right, they fled out into the desert. Through the desert road, they marched toward freedom. But very soon, they found themselves standing at the bank of the Red Sea. And then they learn that Pharaoh and his army are in hot pursuit behind them. What are they going to do? Well, Exodus 14 verse 10 says this, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out into the desert to die? What, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve them than to die here in the desert. And then Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. What a powerful statement. And it's true. It's true. As the story continues through the rest of the chapter, God parts the waters of the Red Sea. The Israelites are able to cross over on dry ground. And whenever Pharaoh's troops do pursue them, it says in the beginning of verse 28, that the water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. And the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. But the Israelites, they went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. So this story is one of God's salvation and deliverance. The people are freed from their slavery, and the enemy is defeated. It's also a story of grace. It's not because of anything that the people did, but only because of what God did that they were saved. The Lord fought for them. They needed only be still and follow the way that he led. So after this wonderful deliverance through water, the people then went and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And at the end of their wilderness wandering, they finally reach 
the promised land, right? They finally reach this place they've been yearning for, this place to call home. But in order to enter that land, there comes yet another important water crossing. This one is not a sea, but a river, the Jordan River. We read about this at the beginning of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapters 3 and 4. The people arrived at the bank of the Jordan River, and Joshua tells them this in chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. He says to them, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. And that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. And now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, it's Waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So they did this. And the very moment that they stepped into the water of the Jordan, it stopped flowing. The second that that the ark entered in, which represents the, the presence of the Lord in their midst, the water dried up. It stopped. And once more, the people were all able to cross over on dry ground into the promised land. Once again, God brought the people through the water. This time, it wasn't out of their old life of slavery in Egypt, but into a whole new life of resting in a new home. So these are the stories that are recalled as John stands by the water in the wilderness. He's reminding them of these other water stories. These stories of deliverance out of Egypt. These stories of arrival in their new home. That they are people delivered through the water. These are not stories of people's great achievements. They're stories of God's action. They're stories about what God has done. God is the one who made a way in the wilderness. God is the one who defeated Pharaoh and his army. God is the one who has brought them into this new home. This is the reality that's recalled by the river. God has saved us. God has delivered us. God has brought us home. These truths are not only recalled as John preaches by the river, these stories are reenacted as he baptizes people in the river. It's no accident that John is preaching by the Jordan River. Uh, John chose the Jordan for a reason. 
right? It's by the Jordan River that we first entered the promised land. So John says it's by the Jordan River once more that we will now encounter the kingdom of God. He's inviting them once more into a new life, into a new home. And so I want to reflect, what all does this mean? How do these stories all come together? And I want to draw a few parallels. You see, there's two water stories. There are two primary movements in the act of baptism. And there are two parts to John's essential message. I, I put together a little table for us to, to help. If, you know, if you're a note taker, if you're a visual person, this might be helpful. Uh, so uh, I did this. So there's two stories, two movements in baptism, and two primary components to John's message. The two stories are the Red Sea and the Jordan River, both of which God opened for them to cross. The movements in baptism, very simply, are down into the water and back up out. And the two core parts of John's message we read in Matthew 3, verse 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now that word repent, right, is a word that very simply means to turn, to turn, right? We've, we've heard so often this word is one of, of you know, doom and gloom and, and spoken with anger on street corners. It's not that. It's a word that simply means, hey, come this way. Turn around. Turn from your old life. Turn away from the enslaving oppression of Egypt. That place isn't home anymore. Right? Don't look to Egypt's power and influence for hope. Come. Cross over the Red Sea. Leave that old place behind. Right? This is all held in that word, repent. And it's depicted and enacted in baptism as the people are brought down into the water. It's this crossing over the Red Sea, this leaving the life that we had behind, this movement toward repentance. But then there's the second story, right? There's the second movement. There's the rest of God's message through John. The story of the Jordan River, right? He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Right? It's not merely repentance for repentance' sake. It's repentance for the sake of the kingdom. Repentance for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. We, we don't merely leave the old life behind. We enter a whole new life. That's what this is all about. That's the story of crossing the Jordan. Right? It, it's, it's stepping into their new home. Stepping into this new place. Stepping into this new kingdom of God that's being announced. And that is what is depicted as a person rises back up out of the water. An entrance into a whole new life. An entrance into the kingdom of God. 
Now you'll notice there's, there's one more box there at the end because, well, John couldn't have known this. But after the events of Jesus, we see something more. One more parallel dynamic in the life of Christ. And that is a picture of death and resurrection. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 6. He says, We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have, may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And this is all held together in, in these pictures as they're wound up and tied together. And the message of John, the story of Israel, and this picture of baptism, water, and the wilderness. We leave the old places. We repent and turn from our sin. And we go down into the waters and die to the life that has gone before. But then we cross into a new land. We hear the news and embrace the kingdom of God. We come up out of the water and we look toward the hope of resurrection. That death is not the end. And death indeed will be defeated. This is what John proclaims as he preaches along the Jordan River, as people come to him confessing their sins, and he baptizes them for repentance. And so I, I want to ask the question, right? Already we've begun talking about this in the dwelling passage, in, in that dwelling time. But I want to invite you to recall your baptism if you've been baptized. Whether it was a few weeks ago, a few years ago, a few decades ago. Recall that moment. Because you too have been joined into these stories. You too are a part of leaving a life of slavery and death. And joined with the story of entering a new life with hope. You too belong to this community. Right? You too sit by the water with St. Kevin to pray. You too gather with those who've gone before. We're a part of this story as well. You too are a part of the death that Jesus died and the life that he now lives. You too are a part of the coming kingdom when all things will be made new.
And these stories are not just for back then or someday. These stories are happening now as well. Even now, God is inviting us to turn. Even now, God is drawing us into the life of his kingdom. Even now, new life is emerging. It happens every day. You are a part of these stories. So remember your baptism. Remember that you are part of this. And if there's anyone who has not been baptized, maybe there's an opportunity. Maybe there's an invitation to join into these stories with all the others who have as well. John stands by the water in the wilderness, declaring the kingdom of God. There's a new life to be lived, and we are a part of it. Amen.